14 uh, through 19. <clears throat> Lord, I'm asking that you'd help me to share this message this morning and make it applicable to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by sharing just a little bit about my early life and uh, a little bit about my romance with my wife, Kathy, since we just had Valentine's Day, just a very little bit. Hopefully I won't make her too red in the face, but in 1980, the summer of 1980, uh, we were facing our senior year of college. Kathy was going to go down to Point Loma Nazarene University and finish up her senior year, and I was going to come back up to Portland, Oregon and finish my senior year of college. Yes, we were a thousand miles apart. We dated off and on uh, throughout college, and mainly on, but sometimes off. <laughs> and um, so I asked her to marry me the summer of 1980, and she said yes. She said yes uh, to my proposal. But I want to tell you, there's a little bit of hesitancy on her part, and uh, the reason why is because I had long hair. I had I had a mixture of Sean Cassidy from the Partridge family and Sonny Bono from the Sonny and Cher program. I mean, my my senior year of high school, I never cut my hair. I, I took a Nazarite valent. I I kid you not, the scissor never touched my hair my entire senior year of high school. I was a bushy, long-haired kid, <clears throat> and you can tell that now, <laughs> could you? <laughs> I've got less hair up here than I do on my eyebrows. I mean, you know, it's it's going it's going fast. But I, I was I was over the head, he, over the head, heels in love with her, and uh, she was a, a, a full of character, and she had a pleasant personality, and she loved the Lord, and I had that so-called love disease uh, disease very very badly, and so that again that summer of 1980 I asked her to marry me, and she said yes, and so we were engaged, and we went our separate ways clear down to San Diego, clear up in Portland, Oregon, over a thousand miles apart. And I'll never forget the, the day I arrived on that campus. I had drove, driven about 17 hours straight through from where I lived to, to Portland, Oregon, along I-5. And I arrived late at night, and uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I felt this heaviness. I felt this weight. I felt this anxiousness. The only way I can describe it is, is that I wanted to finish up my entire senior year of college in one week. And it was compressed. And I got to the point uh, the next day or so that I couldn't breathe. I was having heart palpitations that I could actually hear my heart beating in my head at nighttime. And this that hit me so hard was what I later found out was what they call a panic attack or anxiety attack. I wanted to be with Kathy. I wanted everything to be finished up in one week that would take me an entire year. And I was so stressed out. I eventually prayed and had friends pray for me. I focused one day at a time and, and I started exercising vigorously. And over a period of time, I got better. But did you know that anxiety and stress and worry can rob you, literally, Scripture indicates, it can rob you of your joy. It can rob you of your life. It can choke all of the optimism and all the positive and everything from life. It can literally choke you to death. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about worry in Mark chapter 4, verses 14 through 19. Look at it with me this morning. 
He said, the farmer sows the word, and some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes along and takes away the word that will be sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky soil, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution or the context tells us, worries of this world come, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. There are three specific things that I read about worry and anxiety in this particular passage of Scripture. First of all, I want you to note that worry, this all-consuming, choking sensation that we sometimes get, especially at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Am I the only one that worries at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning? I have to pay the bills. I have all these things I have to do. I'm worried about my mother who has a bad, uh, has this illness. I'm worried about things over here. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about this, whatever it may Did you know that, number one, Jesus indicates right here in this particular passage of Scripture that that worries of this world can keep unbelievers from receiving Christ as their Savior. They are so consumed with everyday living that they participate in what are they, they are like the two different types of soils. They hear the word and they, and they, and they, and they bring it in initially, but because of the worries of this world, it chokes it out. It, it, it strangles God's word from being planted in their heart. The second result of this so-called extreme worry that we're talking about here is it, it can choke a believer's life until they are unable to bear any fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? According to Galatians 5, it is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering. I am so consumed with my job. I'm so consumed with my health. I'm so consumed with all of this stuff that's happening. I've got to get to this place. I've got to get this place. I've got to get my kids lined out here. I've got to get my kids lined I've got to do all this stuff that I don't have any fruit of the Spirit in my life. Love or joy or peace or patience or kindness. And number three, worry cuts off motivation. It cuts off joy because the Bible says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. And did you know that more people are addicted to needless worry than all the other addictions combined in the world? Did you know that that worry is something that you have to learn? It's not something that you're born with. This is what the scripture teaches. It is something that you learn over a period of time in your life. You learn how to be a good worrier. And if it's something learned, it can be something unlearned. But God, I believe, has a sure-cure solution to white-knuckle anxiety and worry. And in fact, I want to let you know, I've got that statistic in your message notes, and I think it's on the overhead. But did you know that 97% of what we worry about never, ever comes to fruition? It never comes to pass. Did you know that? It is like somebody has said, it's like stewing without doing. It's like sitting in a rocking chair and going no place at all. It's like, it's like just sitting there and running in place and not making any progress. And I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that, and I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that, and I'm worried about this, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm just sitting in place in that rocking chair, running in place or whatever it may be, and it's not accomplishing anything. 
over nine out of ten things that you worry about never comes to fruition. It's needless worry. It's stress that is needless. It never comes to fruition. But God has, I think, a sure cure solution to white-knuckled anxiety and worry. And I think it's found in Philippians. Why don't you turn there with me? Philippians um, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. You don't know how this passage of Scripture has spoken to me in my life and in my ministry. I want you to read it afresh and anew like this is the first time you've ever read this passage of Scripture. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Whenever a word is mentioned in the Bible more than twice, or twice, more than once, there's significance there. There's repetition there for a reason. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. What's anything? Anything. Nothing. But in everything, what's everything? All. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Did you know that so-called experts in this field tell us that worry and anxiety and depression are on the rise? It makes sense. I want you to get those six words fixed in your mind. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Let's say it together. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Let's say it one more time. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Did you know that in the original here, the word worry means to fret fret over, to be consumed with. The picture that we are given here is a person that is choking. Ever choked on a piece of food? I was in a restaurant one time and I swallowed this food and it went up my nostril area. You know that how it goes up in the, I can't think of the name of the area, but I, I was choking. I was choking. It was in the wrong place and I couldn't hardly breathe and I was embarrassed in this restaurant and I couldn't get it out. I kept, you know, whatever you do. Worry is choking. It is drowning. We've all felt that sensation where we've gone so much and we've got so stressed out that we feel as though the whole world is on our chest. I want you to know what qualifies as worry. Somebody exegeting this particular passage of Scripture, this is what they write. Anything that, anything that draws us away from Christian joy, something that we cannot change, something that we cannot be responsible for, something that we cannot control, for those who like to control things, that's hard, something or someone that frightens us, something that agitates us, something that keeps us awake when we should be asleep. We're really talking about things 
beyond our control. Did you know that you cannot change the past? And yet, how many people worry about what they, how they raise their kids? I wish I would have done things different with my kids. How many people are consumed with the job choices that they make? Consumed with better financial decisions? We can't do anything about the past. How many people are consumed with what's going to happen tomorrow? Jesus said it won't add one iota to your life to worry about tomorrow. I don't know what the economy is going to be like. I don't know what my health is going to be like. I don't know, but I've got today to live. I can't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow hasn't happened yet. How many people are so consumed with trying to change a grown person, a child, a friend, a co-worker, a grandson, granddaughter, did you know that you cannot change a person against his or her will? And yet how many of us will try to do this and do that and we're thinking we're going to do this and we're going to change them and we're going to do this, whatever. You cannot change a person. There are so many things beyond our control. We cannot change the past. Tomorrow hasn't happened yet. And we cannot change a person against his or her will. And quite frankly, folks, Sometimes you just have to check out of being the CEO of the universe. You're not in charge of the universe. You're not in charge of this country. You're not in charge of Grant County. You're not in charge of so many things. You're not, God's the one that's in control. And what are we trying to do? Being, being, being uh, you know, God? Trying to control things that are beyond our control. So what do we need to do? First of all, we need to replace worry with prayer. Very simple. It's right there. Replace worry with prayer. Replace worry with prayer. We need to uh, switch the worry list to the prayer list. Give each one to God. Now this is, uh, once we bind to this plan that God has provided for those who want to be free of worry, we'll notice we have, we'll have more time in the day. Why will you have more time in the day when you switch your worry list to the prayer list because you won't have so many things that are beyond your control to worry about. The only thing that worry does is get you depressed. What now? How do we spend time that we used to waste with worrying? Well, going back to the Apostle Paul's letter here in Philippians, look at verse 4 with me. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. In other words, we want to replace also, number two, worry with rejoicing. Worry with rejoicing. You know what rejoice means? It means to express delight in. It means to express joy for. When we're rejoicing in the Lord, we're not saying that circumstances are bad. We're not saying that circumstances aren't terrible at times. We're not saying we're not Pollyanna. We're not sticking our head in the sand. All we're doing is choosing to live above our circumstances. We're choosing to live above our circumstances. To say, Lord, I'm going to take delight in my grandchildren today, even though I don't feel good. I'm going to take delight. In that sunrise or sunset, I'm going to rejoice that you 
we're working over here in this situation. It is a choice. Paul says twice, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. It is not a positive Robert Schuller type of idea. It's a command. And to ignore it is to ignore what God is teaching us. He says to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing is a choice. Again, rejoice in the Lord. He said rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And yet, to relax, to relax, to rest, to rejoice, worry about nothing, pray about everything. I want you to notice verse 7 as well here. And notice he says, do not be anxious about anything, verse 6, but in everything, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is what he says. Let's put it all together. He says, worry about nothing, pray about everything, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again, rejoice. And the result is, is the peace of God will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. And the, again, the, the language that is given there is like a century that goes around on duty and protects something that is of value. And God says, you're of so immense value that I'm going to give you peace. Corporal peace walking around your heart. I got to tell you that yesterday afternoon I was very troubled, and I'm not going to go into details about all the things I was troubled about, but I begin to figure it out. Let me see. I spent this night out, 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 and this night out. Six of the last seven nights I had something going on, and I've, I've been tired. And uh, we, as you know, we hosted uh, Pastor Privet. And I enjoyed him so much in his preaching. That was great. It was wonderful. I was pretty tired. And then I started reading this book. It got me riled up. Ever read a book that got you riled up and about things that are happening, again, that are beyond my control? And so I grabbed Kathy's hand. And I said, will you pray with me? Heart's troubled. And we had a little prayer meeting right there in our living room. I can't tell you uh, what that did for me. What does it do when we surrender to the Lord? We get God's peace. Sometimes not instantaneously, but over a period of time, we get God's peace. Just His well being, just that pat on the back. And this is what Paul is saying here. The peace of God will guard your heart, hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace that the world doesn't give. The third thing I see in this particular passage of Scripture, we need, to, we need to replace worry with positive thoughts. Worry with positive. You say, what are you talking about? Well, look at verse 8 with me. What does Paul say? He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Underline the word think. It means to dwell upon. It means to give our full attention to. No matter how 
bad things are, I need to deliberately focus my mind on the positive and on the uplifting. You have to say out loud to yourself, okay, it's time for my mind to dwell on better things. Okay, it's time to stop the negative emotional chaining and to focus my mind on better things. I want to do that. Now, think about the things actually means to study them in depth, focus your mind like you would focus a laser beam on an object. We've been hearing that for some time now that as airplanes are being flown over that there are people with these laser beam lights and the FAA is having a problem with it and they actually have laws against shining these laser light, red lights into the cockpits of these uh, airports, uh, these planes. But like a laser beam that's focused on the object, we must focus our mind on the positive. Did you know that our thoughts help shape our attitudes, help forge our character, help determine our behavior, play a part in our achievements, our failures, often whether we live a long life or a short life. We are the product of our thoughts and we must become healthy thinkers. Did you know that every effective Christian person for Jesus Christ has learned to have a wholesome pattern of thinking? Again, this is not modern pop psychology. This is what we read in Proverbs 23.7. What a man thinketh in their heart, so he or she becomes. What we thinketh in our heart, we become. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told to have the mind of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, we are told that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And you know what a healthy mind, a healthy mind does not exist by accident. Did you know that? No, it is not passed through our genes. In fact, the opposite usually occurs. Many of us have to unlearn bad habits that were perhaps learned from our father, our mother, our grandparents, and from the world and environment that we grew up in. Remember this adage. Do you remember this adage? Sow a thought and reap an act. Sow a thought and reap an act. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a character. Sow a character and reap a destiny. And there's a lot of unnecessary anxiousness and thoughts and depression and feelings of low self-esteem and anxiety, and they're just primarily caused because, not all, but most, from bad habits of thinking. And you see, feelings and thoughts have consequences. Feelings are often like red lights are warnings that something is wrong. And there's a deeper, deeper process. There's a deeper mental problem. There's something happening. Often, not all negative thoughts are the result of bad habits of the mind. So what do we do? You need to develop good habits of the mind. Do exactly what the Apostle Paul says here in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, when he, when he writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Now let's suppose that you have a friend that has an appointment with you. And this is the way that our mind often works. Not always, because some of us have retrained our mind, but this is the way often our minds work. Somebody has, we have an appointment with someone for, for dinner or for lunch, and we've had this appointment for a long time, and they're, they're a good friend. 
and all of a sudden they cancel. No explanation. I'm sorry, I can't make it. I can't make it. And as we go about our business, we begin to converse with ourselves. I wonder why they can't go out to dinner. I wonder why they can't go out to lunch with me. I planned this for weeks. I wonder if their mother has been talking bad about me. I wonder if their spouse has been talking bad about me. I know their mother and their father and their spouse, they don't like me. What could they have? What could the, what could the mother? What could the what could the spouse? What could they even say about? What do they have against me? And before long, we're eventually in this grumpy mood, and we tell ourselves, "Well, never ever anything goes right. Life is terrible," and we become an Eeyore. Remember that donkey? Eeyore, it's such a bad day. I don't even want to get out of bed today. It happens all the time. We talk to ourselves, and here are some. Basic questions that are not in your message notes that we need to ask ourselves when we get in this funk, okay? Number one, we need to say, is it true? Is it true? Number two, is it reality? Am I overreacting? Will it be different tomorrow? Will it be different after I get a good night's sleep? Because remember, we talked about this. Vince Lombardi said that fatigue makes cowards out of all of us. Am I being sensible and realistic? What's the real issue? Where will this idea take me? Now, those of us that are married, we do this all the time with our spouses, don't we? We begin to talk to them. We begin to listen to them. We bounce off our feelings and emotions. And our spouse says, you know, you might have that just a little bit off there, honey. Or you might have that just a little bit off, husband. We get perspective. And then if you have a good friend, if you're a single person, it's important to do that, to get perspective. You see, the very first positive habit of the mind Paul addresses is, seek the truth. Is it true? Stay with reality. Be objective as possible. Challenge those thoughts. Don't allow ourselves to be immersed in unrealities or fantasies because our belief must be rooted in God's word and the solid rock of Christ. Constantly be seekers of the truth. What is reality? Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, she's deceased now. But a number of years ago, she wrote a book entitled Prodigals and Those Who Love Them. What a title, huh? Ever have a prodigal? Prodigal and Those Who Love Them. And... Uh, it illustrates how often worry, she shares a story in this book that I'm going to read to you, and this story illustrates how often worry um, forces us to focus on the wrong thing. After more than 40 years of marriage, a woman, woman's husband suddenly died for several months she sat alone in her house with the shades pulled down and the doors locked. Finally, she decided she needed to do something about her situation. The loneliness was killing her. She remembered that her husband had a friend who owned a nice pet store. A pet might be good company. So she dropped in one afternoon to look over the selection. She looked at dogs. She looked at cats. She looked at goldfish, even snakes. Nothing seemed quite right. She told the store owner she wanted a pet that could be a real companion, almost like another human being in the house. Suddenly, 
the pet store owner thought about one of his prized parrots. He showed her the colorful bird. Does it talk? She asked. Absolutely. A real chatterbox. Everybody who comes to the store is astounded by this parrot's friendly disposition and wide open vocabulary. That's why it's so expensive. Sold, she told the pet store owner. She bought the expensive parrot and hauled it home in a large, elegant cage. At last, she had a companion that she could talk to who could answer back perfect, but there was a problem. A full week passed without the bird saying one word. She began to worry. She dropped by the pet shop. How's the parrot doing? The pet store owner asked. Quite a talker, huh? Not one word, she said. I haven't been able to get a sound out of that bird. I'm worried. Well, did you buy a mirror when you got the parrot in the cage last week? Mirror? No. There's no mirror in the cage. That's your problem. A parrot needs a mirror. It's funny, but while looking at itself, a parrot starts to feel comfortable. In no time, it will begin to talk. So she bought the mirror, and she put it into the cage. Time passed, still nothing. Each day, the woman talked to the bird, but not a peep came out of its beak. For hours on end, she would talk as the parrot stared in silence. Another week passed without a word. By now, she was really getting worried. The parrot isn't talking, she told the pet store owner. I'm worried. All that money, the mirror, and still nothing. Say, did you buy a ladder? Did you buy a ladder when you got that cage? A ladder? No. I didn't know I needed a ladder. Well, make it talk. Works like a charm. The parrot will look in the mirror and get a little exercise, climb up and down this ladder several times. Before long, you won't believe what you hear. Trust me, you need the ladder. So she bought the ladder and she put it into the cage next to the mirror and waited and waited. Another seven, eight days, still nothing. By now, her worry was approaching panic stage. She's so consumed with worry. Why doesn't it talk? Why doesn't it talk? That was all that she could think about. She returned to the store in tears with the same complaint. Did you buy a swing? A swing? No. I have the cage. I have a mirror and the ladder. I thought I had everything. I had no idea I needed a swing. you got to have a swing. A parrot needs to feel completely at home. It glances in the mirror, takes a stroll up and down the ladder, and before long, it's on the swing enjoying itself. And bingo, I found that parrots usually talk when they're perched on a swing. The woman bought the swing. She attached it to the top of the cage near the ladder and coaxed the parrot up the ladder and onto the swing, still absolutely silenced. For another 10 days, not one sound came out of the cage. Suddenly, she came bursting into the pet store, really steaming, really angry, really hot underneath the collar. The owner met her at the corner. Hey, how's that parrot? I'll bet. It died! My expensive bird is dead in the bottom of the cage. Well, I can't believe that. I'm just shocked. Did it ever say anything at all? Yes. As a matter of fact, it did. As it lay there, taking its last breath, it said very faintly, Don't they have any food down there at that store? Worry. Listen. Worry. Worry 
Worry makes us focus on the wrong things. Worry makes us focus on the wrong things. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Rejoice in the Lord always. Whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy, dwell on these things. There's no greater waste of time and no greater deterrent to joy than worry. No greater deterrent to joy than worry. To be consumed with this person should do this and my family member should do that and they should do this and they should do that and to be consumed with being the CEO of the universe, it steals your joy. You say, Pastor Ron, what can I do besides worry? Pray about it. Pray about it. About everything. 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 And sometimes it just takes all the discipline you can have not to worry and to give it to God in prayer. But the peace of God will come. A weary Christian lay awake at night. A weary man consumed with his job, consumed with his wife's physical problems, consumed with worry about his kids. And then he heard the Lord gently Gently say to him, now go to, see, now go to sleep, Ron, Jim, Bob, Chuck, Greg, now go to sleep. I'll stay up for you. I'll stay up for you. Let's pray together.